a couple weeks ago, well, a number of weeks ago, we began discussing freedom in Christ. And then two weeks ago, we began dealing with a section on the definition of living as free believers. Using the same notes as two weeks ago, if you don't have them or you would like some, some in the chair in the back, um, definition of living as free believers. A couple of questions as we begin on you know, looking for response. And this one maybe could be worded a little better. But can you be free living with unresponsive, that is unresponsive to the Lord adult children, should be worded differently. But can you be free living with children who are adults, but they're not responsive to the Lord? <clears throat> Looking for response. <clears throat> No response? Pardon? Brenda? Yes? Any other comment or just yes? Your life is dependent on the Lord and not totally in the kids, so you could be free. Any other response? How about this one? Can you be free on a routine going nowhere job? Whatever a going nowhere job is, a lot of jobs are routine, but uh, can you be free in such a job? Go ahead, Karen. You know, sometimes we think our circumstance has to be a certain way before we can really be free, we can enjoy God, and so on. But living as a free believer two weeks ago, living joyfully and contentedly 24-7 in a broken, fallen world with God's blessing from desire within the design, the pattern, and the structure that God, Christ, the Holy Spirit designed for you as a child of God. And that's through the life we have in Christ and the dependency upon the Holy Spirit. And we discussed that, you know, in some detail two weeks ago. So we're not going to go over that again tonight. We'll expand upon that in a few minutes. But when is a car free? When is a car free? On the road. Basically confined to the road not pulling too heavy of a load, and so on. When is the fish free? It's got to be in the water. With freedom comes some restriction. You can't have freedom without some type of restriction. Adam and Eve had freedom. But don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The children of Israel were designed to be free, but God gave them the Ten Commandments. So let's look at some scripture. Let's go to John chapter 5. The Gospel of John, 
chapter 5. The Gospel of John, the overall theme is to demonstrate that Jesus is the Son of God. And he clearly states that in chapter 1, and then you get to chapter 20 and 21. That again is demonstrated. But in John chapter 5, we find that Jesus is sharing. He healed at the pool, and it seems like people had a hard time responding to him, especially the Jews. And I want you to notice how Jesus related to his father. We'll begin reading with verse 16. So, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work. To this very day, and I do too, am working. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer. I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because everything the father does, the son also does. I want you to notice in verse 19, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. Now this is Jesus speaking, the son of God. He can do only what he sees his father doing. Verse 20, for the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, to your amazement, he will show him even greater things than these. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the father judges no one, but has entrusted all his judgment to the son, that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Very close relationship between the Father, between Jesus, the Son. Interacting, a dependency of the Son on the Father. Verse 24, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. I tell you the truth, the time is coming and now has come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear him will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is a son of man. We're not going to interact a lot on this passage, but if you read it and meditate upon it, The Father and the Son. The Son depended on the Father, but an intimate communication. The Son was free because he was dependent upon the Father. Let's go over to Romans chapter 13. And you may say, what in the world does Romans 13 have to do with what we have been discussing Romans 1 through 11, Paul deals quite strongly with doctrine. In chapters 12 through 16, what that doctrine looks like in daily living. And some of that doctrine relates to how you respond to civil government. Romans 13 and verse 1. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. 
Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror to those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from the fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to you, or to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an ancient of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. This is why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. In light of the passage, when is a citizen free? When is a citizen free? Obeying government. So when I whine and complain, and I'm not talking, discussing government, but when I whine and complain about the government, am I being free? No, because I'm resisting the government then. Because I can't whine and complain about the government and at the same time submit. So a citizen is free in submission to those in authority over them. I'm not saying you can't discuss politics and you're not free or whatever. I'm talking when the attitude of a heart is not correct. Go over to 1 Peter. (coughs) Chapter 4. Peter's writing to those who are going through persecution. And he tells them how to respond. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering as if something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Now notice what he does not say in verse 13. Now get out of your suffering, get out of your trial and do what you have to to get out. Do not be surprised at the painful trials you're suffering as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests in you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or as a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear his name. Do you ever think about praying for the persecuted church and thanking God that they are being blessed? We're persecuted because of our faith. You know, we may take a stand for Christ or we don't respond to something on the job or in school because of our faith in Christ. Do we rejoice in that or do we try to get out of it right away? 
He says, rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ. He doesn't tell a citizen to escape from being in authority or being under authority. He says, submit to it. Jesus gloried in submitting to his father. All of that ties in with freedom because in page two, we tend to fear freedom because it looks like we're giving up control or we're surrendering control. That is, we're no longer at the helm. Yes, we are surrendering control to the one who designed us and knows how we are to function. We're to let him work in his time and his way. We're surrendering to the one who is our life. That is Christ. Will you say, if I am to make choices to follow Christ, if I'm going to really be free, then I need to surrender. Yes. But who you're surrendering control to? the one who designed you. So Jesus surrendered control to his father. When he was in the garden praying, Father, if it be possible, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but you know, yours be done. Surrendering control. The citizen surrendering control to the government. So we may say we don't like what they do with our tax dollars. That's not our responsibility to determine, is it? That's the governmental authority's responsibility. I'm free when I give my tax dollars, even if I don't agree, and let the government determine that and realize it's not my responsibility. The one who is being persecuted for Christ is free when they cease trying to escape the persecution and glory in their persecution because they're surrendering to Christ. So why do we struggle with surrender? What is at the root? Why do we struggle just surrendering to God and letting him be God? Any response before I share a few? <clears throat> Karen. We actually think we have control. We think we do, but we really don't, but we think we do. And if we do it our way, we're going to have control. Any other response? Pride. Pride. We know best, you know, we know how to do it. And I think that would turn with control again, you know. We're proud, we think we're in control. Any others? Okay, we have a hard time understanding unconditional love. Any further comment on that, Alan? Or just... Fear, I really can't trust, I think is involved. Impatience, things move too slow. You ever consider how God's, or how slow God is sometimes? 
Do I want to surrender control to one who doesn't respond as fast as I think? Demand. We want to see the end before we'll act. Now, God, if I rejoice in my try, I want to see the outcome. When you show me the outcome, then I'll choose to rejoice. And God says, no, I'm not going to show you the outcome. I already told you what the outcome would be. And the whole issue of unconditional love, I think, is tied in also. We don't understand that. Can we really trust God? If we understand his love, I think we can. And then the whole issue of bitterness. We tend to become bitter because circumstances and people are not the way I want them to be. So we get bitter rather than trusting. So when I don't accept a circumstance the way it is, I've taken a step towards bitterness. And the longer that goes, the deeper I go into bitterness and the less I surrender control. And that just creates havoc in life. Going back to what Alan said earlier, does God love his children? Yes or no? Let's get a consensus here. Okay, I see heads going yes. Does he always do what is best for us? Okay, I see heads going yes. Then can we trust him? when we can't see the end. See, that's surrendering control. That's why some people will not fly in an airplane. They have no control. None. You get on an airplane, you're entrusting your life to the plane. You're entrusting your life to the guy up there in the cockpit. And you're trusting your life to the autopilot also. <laughs> Just read an article recently. They say maybe the autopilot isn't real good because pilots might not get enough hands-on experience, you know. And they were talking about the crash over uh, the one more recent, you know, where they found some people. But again, it's an issue. Are we willing to let go of control? Well, let's think about freedom Applied. We won't worry about the discussion on those other two items. But freedom applied, letter A. A believer in Christ is free when he or she accepts that we live in a broken, imperfect world, a fallen world, which means we will be hurt by others and we will fail and sin. Well, think about that. A believer in Christ is free when he or she accepts that we live in a broken, imperfect world, which means we will be hurt by others. And we will fail and sin. If I think I can go through life without being hurt by others, I'm living in an unreal world. 
If I think I can go through life without hurting myself, hurting others, I'm living in an unreal world. And if I don't think I hurt others, I'm denying reality. So if we can have the mindset, we live in a broken world, I'm going to hurt people at times, and people are going to hurt me. That's life in a broken world. That brings freedom. I no longer have to try to be perfect. Even though I want to be godly and sensitive to God, nor do I think anyone else has to be perfect. And that brings a tremendous amount of freedom and surrendering control. So what that means is that imperfection is embraced, not resisted. It's an opportunity to experience Christ. We push imperfection away in ourselves and in others. And what do we do? We push God away. We push others away. But when we embrace it, we see it as an opportunity to experience Christ. Do you remember a guy by the name of Peter? Peter said he would not deny Jesus. You know, Jesus said, you know, you all deny me. And Peter said, no, I won't. And we know that Jesus looked at him and the Bible says, Peter went out and wept. You ever consider why he wept? That part of it was, I blew it. I hurt Jesus. What did Jesus do? After his resurrection, he talked to Peter and said, Peter, do you love me? Second time, Peter, do you love me? And a third time, Peter, do you love me? And I know there's a play in the Greek words being used there. But is there a parallel between his failure and Jesus asking him three times, do you love me? And then saying, feed my sheep. What is Jesus doing embracing a man who failed? He was free. See, I'm free when I can go to Ruth Ann or I can go to my children, I can go to some other believer and say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. I really blew it. And I don't get hung up over it. I don't have to be perfect. I know I'm not. At least my wife does, and I think my kids do, and grandkids and in-laws and so on. But it brings freedom. I can give up trying to be perfect. I have the freedom to fail. And I give others that same freedom. Oh, I can't believe my kid behaved that way. Well, why not? They'll chip off the old block. <laughs> They're human. They're sinful. They're still battling with it. That just you know, brings a lot of freedom. Brokenness is responded to rather than demanding change. See, we respond to brokenness. What did Jesus do? Jesus repeatedly responded to brokenness. He drew him to himself, and then people changed, but he still responded to them. See, that's why our children, people we know, but I'm referring more to children, when they do something stupid and sinful, we respond so strongly in a negative way. 
because we haven't accepted the fact that our children are going to hurt us. And we're going to hurt them at times. That brings freedom. Dreams of perfection are let go. That is dreams on this earth. Perfection is coming. But on this earth, we've given up those dreams of perfection. Well, after we're married 30 years or 40 years or 50 years, it's just going to be perfect. Or by the time we get through raising our kids after we have 18 years of practice, then we'll be perfect parents and our kids will be pretty good. We let go of those dreams on this side of heaven. See, demanding change makes one a greater slave. Demanding change makes one a greater slave. A slave of what? Being perfect. Free people accept failure in themselves and failure in others. Jesus did that in responding to people. He didn't accept failure in himself. He was the son of God and he did not sin. But accept sin in others, failure in others. So we really can't change ourselves apart from Christ. And our goal is not to make others change, but to help them depend upon Christ. So we get up tomorrow morning. I don't want to sin at all today. And then when we sin, we get down on ourselves, and we really have a difficult time. Lord, I want to live in sensitivity to you today. It's not my desire to sin. I recognize I still battle with it. And if I do, I know in you I have acceptance. Questions or comments before we go on? Okay, letter B. A believer in Christ is free when he rejects or she rejects passivity for taking on body life rather than individual, individualism. And by that I mean we're no longer passive and say, well, if the one and others of Scripture happen, okay. If they don't, that's okay. They're laying aside passivity and recognize that that is important. When we say we can't live the Christian life, we need others We need governmental authority to live well in the Christian world. We need persecution to live well. We need Christ. But we especially need the body. We don't live as islands. We're designed to live as a body. So by nature, we practice individualism. We just do that without even trying. Romans 3, I think, makes that pretty clear. And we think we can handle life. Believers in Christ are designed to need others. We have a hard time getting that through our heads as humans, don't we? We think we can handle life ourselves. But we can't. 
Why do you pull up to the gas pump and put gasoline in your automobile rather than pulling up to the water hydrant and putting water in it? Because it was designed for gasoline. You say, Pastor, I'd be stupid to pull up to the water hydrant and put water in it. I know. Are we not equally, maybe I shouldn't use this word again, stupid when we try to live individually because we weren't designed for that? We're designed to be dependent upon other people. That brings freedom. I can't make it through this myself. I need others. So the design is that we're dependent upon God, upon Christ, and upon other believers. So aggressively pursue that. See, freedom in choice implies a choice to open our lives to others. This morning we read from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 about there being one body but many members and the many members needing one another. So Ruth and I are husband and wife. God designed her to be a complement to help me. So we're making a decision. She's my helper. She's my complement. I need to seek her advice. But I'm the head. I'm to lead. I'm to make, you know, make sure the decision is made and carried out. But the design is that I need her. So why would I make it without her? Her design is that she needs me to lead. So she needs to let me lead. See, that is the whole idea of dependency. Okay, the fellow that falls into sin. And the reason he falls into sin is because he knows he's struggling, but he doesn't share with anyone what's happening. He's living contrary to his design. He's not living as a free person. So let's suppose a man or a woman, maybe more men, but from statistics, seems like pretty strong among women also, someone who is battling with pornography. And the reason I bring that up, it's available, you know, at the, all you have to do is click on your computer, you know, and you can have all kinds of stuff. And the guy is being tempted. He quickly walks away from his computer, gets his phone and calls a friend and says, I just want you to know that I'm being tempted. Would you please come over now? That man's free. I need help. But the man who says, I think I can handle it and gets sucked in deeper and deeper is not free. He's becoming a slave because he's living as an individual. 
See, we show dependency upon Christ by dependency upon others. And that, you know, take, can take many forms, but we're dependent upon others. So we're dependent upon others, we're dependent upon Christ. But see, if we're free to accept that we fail and others fail, then we're free to seek to live in dependency upon others. Letter C. A believer in Christ is free when he or she follows his earthly shepherd or shepherds. You say, what's that have to do with freedom? We're sheep. Scripture makes that clear. And we are to follow a shepherd. That's the design. So a shepherd is free when he ceases trying to drive sheep and leads them. Well, you say they don't all follow. He's not called to make them follow. He's called to lead them. So the shepherd or shepherds have a responsibility and the sheep have a responsibility and there's freedom when you live within <coughs> that responsibility. A citizen is free when they obey the government. A suffering saint is free when they rejoice in their difficulty. So we need to admit I can't handle life. I need a shepherd. And if you're looking at that broadly, a child needs a parent. A believer needs a shepherd. I can't handle life. I need help. See, that brings freedom. Trusting God is shown in trusting an earthly shepherd. So how do I trust God in this circumstance? Trusting an earthly shepherd. If you think you can handle life, you're a slave. You say, how am I a slave if I think I can handle life? Because you're thinking you can handle life when you were designed to live in dependency. So when we step out of God's design, we step outside of freedom. So I get up tomorrow morning and I say, God, if I'm to be free today as a citizen, I need the government. And then the next thought goes through my mind, but I don't like my government. <laughs> They're not always doing what I want them to do or think they should do. I need to step back and say I'm responsible for following them. Well, what if they do wrong? That's their responsibility, not mine. I will not stand before God and give an account for what President Obama or what the Senate or the House do. But I will give an account for how I respond to what they do do. So I'm free when I say I'm not responsible for them. I may not agree, and we can talk about it, and we can discuss it, and that may be fine, but the bottom line is I'm free when I let them do what God designed them to do. But I will give an account. Well, Dan, did you pay your taxes this year? Yeah... 
with that kind of attitude? Yeah, then maybe you better adjust your attitude because you're not really showing respect. See, we're free when we follow what we're designed to be and we're designed to follow earthly shepherds. Questions or comments? Okay, we'll wrap it up there for tonight. But again, think about freedom. The bottom line is, I can't. Christ can, and he designed us then to admit that we have failures. Others are going to hurt us. He designed us to be dependent upon others in the body of Christ. He designed us to follow earthly shepherds. And close with an example. My mother, over the years, has struggled at times with following earthly shepherds. And I guess because I'm a pastor, sometimes she'll talk to me and not say as much to my siblings. And over and over I've said, Mom, you need to follow. Well, I don't think they're quite doing the right thing. You're not responsible for what they do. You're responsible for following. Are they sinning? No. You think they're doing wrong, but they're not sinning. Yes. Well, then follow. Pray for them. Be committed to them. Encourage them. A couple of weeks ago, I was talking to her, and she started to say something. Well, I, I can't get down that road. <laughs> she didn't say it that way. She was saying, I'm doing better in following. And I noticed a change in her outlook and attitude. She's much freer. Why? Just living within the design, saying, I can't handle life. I just need to respond as God designed me to respond. Father, thank you for your love, your grace, your patience in working in our lives. It's our desire to be sensitive to you as we seek to be free. In Christ's name, amen.